You are listening to the Root Simple Podcast. On the podcast this week, Kelly and I talk about native plants and yards gone wild with David Newsom of the Wild Yards Project. Before we get to the conversation, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers, Robert G, Anne F, Dan F, Amy C, Anthony M, Becky L, Heather E, Lynn G, K, Scott G, Kellyan, Stephanie L, Erica R, Kelton M, Kyle P, Nicholas H, David and Sandy S, Eric of Garden Fork, and supporters Nicole, Michael W, Johnny S, Dutch Girl, Mary H, Stephen T, Brad and Stacy, and Johan. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of our blog at rootsimple.com. David describes himself as a storyteller and native plant evangelist, and he is the founder of the Wild Yards Project. He's also an accomplished photographer, producer, actor, and all-around creative person. And now, our conversation with David Newsom. Uh, yes. We're here with okay. David Newsom. Hello, David Newsom. Hello. And we're talking about the Wild Yards Project, and we're here with Kelly Coyne. Hello there. Well, let's start with, tell us actually, so tell us the story of how you got interested in native plants. And we're going to talk mostly about the Wild Yards Project today. Mm -hmm. We might talk a little bit about your own, you know, yard project yourself. So mm -hmm. tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, we can that do that. Get, that well, I, actually, I, I think really, to be honest, I think I need to blame you guys. Really? Yeah, because I I was basically composting, and I and I had an apartment, and I, I needed some place to bring my compost because I didn't have a garden, so I brought it to you guys. And then I remember those days. Yeah, see, and I used to stink up your yard with my the bokashi. The, uh -huh, yeah. You were the bokashi guy. <laughs> <laughs> like we didn't know David from Adam, in, but yeah. he was a friend of a friend who had some bokashi that he needed to dump off regularly in our, and that's that's how we met. Yeah, blame Jody Willie. Yeah. Yes, our publisher. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you bought a house. What happened next? So we bought a house in uh, Eagle Rock, Los Angeles. And um, my wife was, I think, seven months pregnant at the time. Prior to having a house and, and having a pregnant wife, and I had always spent a lot of time hiking and biking and traveling all over the West and, um, and, and uh, spent a good part of my life in Los Angeles out in the hills and out in the Mediterranean chaparral of Los Angeles. And then suddenly we were about to have a child and we had this house and that the house itself is a nice little craftsman. Um, but the backyard was just a dump. It was just a garbage dump of dead. Uh, we saw it. You did. Yeah. You guys it came. It really was a dump. It really was just, it was just bare. I remember bare soil yeah. and um, a strange little grove of tr dead trees. Yeah. Like they yeah. tried to start a tiny orchard, but yeah. it failed and they were sticks it was Does like it was like a, yeah it was the you know in northeast la there's a big tradition of <clears throat> of uh, pomegranates and and figs which they do very well here when nothing else will they're fantastic yeah. they're great we have we have two figs in our yard still and a pomegranate and they're both you don't have to do anything in fact if you do something to them they hate you um but that was what we had, and they were dead. There was about eight or ten dead trees in the backyard. So it was a rare case of failed pomegranates. Yeah, because somebody tried to do something with them. It's really hard to I don't know what they did to make them so thoroughly dead. They overthought it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and all the dirt was exposed, and there was a bunch of pipes, and there was a bunch of like wood piled up, and there was a whole bunch of indiscernible brown stuff. Anyway, <laughs> so we cleared it all off, and we I, we mulched the trees, and I and I tried to think for a long time about what to do, and... To be honest, there were two phases. And the first time I, I set out to do it, I just set out to do like a pollinator garden. I just wanted to have bees and butterflies. That's really as far as my brain had gotten. Um, I thought that would be nice for my daughter. And then as I went down that rabbit hole, the, then suddenly the native plant, this, this, this phrase native plants and the whole concept of having a native garden kept kind of coming up in conversations. And when I was, you know, looking into it, what would bring what to my yard and um i kind of eschewed that i kind of thought that was sort of um elite or uh you know extreme i didn't i didn't buy into it at all at first and i'm not a um even now i you know i'm not uh, what's the word i'm not too purist. extreme about it. i'm not a purist but anyway so i wanted to have i wanted to have a place where there was at least something alive in my yard for my kids to have a baseline experience of the natural world, something like what I had had. I grew up in New Jersey, 
right uh, my neighborhood that i grew up in was a neighborhood that was that were springing up after the war world war ii and there were all these developments that were happening you know these these one level ranch houses that were going all over right in the middle of old farmland mm. and so you had these secondary and tertiary forests that had overgrown around old farmhouses and you know we still had deer and we had box turtles and we had spotted salamanders and little creeks that ran in the back of these developments and so you know i had you know i suffered my first sort of natural trauma back then when the the pond that i used to go collect frogs from i as i went to one night to go to go catch spring peepers it had been bulldozed mm -hmm. and it was my first horrible like horrible witnessing of the devastation of nature even though my my obviously where i lived was a was an example of that mm. but anyhow but i still had this 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 baseline experience of interacting with the natural world and i was worried that we were going to have a kid who was going to have none of that that was going to live in in northeast los angeles and think that sparrows and you know i love raccoons but that's about it <laughs> the occasional crow right or the, a possum if you're lucky yeah or the, yeah we do have an opossum that's very welcome uh, except not in my uh, vegetable beds um, so anyway, that's what I wanted to do. And, and I went down that rabbit hole and started to, to bring in native plants and explore the native plant thing because it would actually, just by virtue of, of it being local, would bring in more local bees and butterflies and birds and things like that. And then I read Doug Talmay's book, uh, which changed everything for me, which, which radically um, cemented me to this, to this belief that native plants are a way to... Um, to to save retrofit, yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe save the world, but th at the very least, to retrofit a wild landscape back into our urban and suburban environments. Well, what's the title of the book again? Bringing nature home. Bringing nature home. And and what about that book? What what about that book spurred you to this kind of revolution in your backyard and your life? Actually, um, the 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 book and his talk. And if you can ever see Doug Talmay talk, he 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 has the benefit of being a a a phenomenal scientist but he's also a very charismatic speaker who understands how to craft a story and so he 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 puts together a very powerful argument uh basically asserting that unless you have certain plant because of coevolution uh certain insects which are kind of the, the 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 bedrock of biodiversity because they're the protein source for most birds and most things co-evolved with certain plants and so unless you have those plants in your yard or in your neighborhood you're unlikely to have those insects and if you don't have those insects you don't have those birds and and the possibility therefore of having a robust biodiverse ecosystem where you live is nil um now there are people who who take issue with that and there are people far more knowledgeable than me who say well certain insects will over time but but Talmay's research is pretty exhaustive. And even someone like Michael Pollan, who challenged him, who said, well, if a plant's been around here for a couple hundred years, isn't it time to call it native? And Talmay had a great response to that. Talmay said, I'll call it native when it behaves like a native. Take that same plant, if it's from China and it's over here now. Let's go back to where it was in China. How many insects fed off it? What did it play a host to? You know, if you have to think of plants as hosts, they're, they're, they have a they have co-evolved to have a relationship with things that keep it all in check and in balance. And so, if that if that plant over in China had say forty different things that it played host to, and over here it has one to none, then and it's not and, earning its keep. It's not earning its keep, yeah. right? Yeah, like a ginkgo tree over on Eagle Rock Boulevard maybe has one caterpillar on it, and they don't even know if it actually fed on it or if it's just hanging out on it, whereas our native oaks play host to 5,000 different species of animal, insect and animal. Mm. So that was the, so that, that lit a big fire under my ass, and I was like, oh, I want to create a, a, a place that's fun for us to be in, but also plays host to as many of the other wild things as possible. And that, that became an addiction. I wanted to see how many different things would come into our yard. 
And what's interesting, I, our listeners don't know, is that you you didn't have any gardening experience, right? You were kind None. of a newbie when you <clears throat> came in. Nothing. You are so good at it. You were just like, you guys can't see his garden, well, unless you can. Do you have pictures of your garden on any of your sites? My well, there's. <clears throat> I did a little movie for the Wild Yards Project. There's a our mission, and there's a there's a, a kind of like the you know, the, the origin story movie on there. Uh, it's called Our Story. And that, I think there's some pictures. Of the, there's all the, because I started uploading photos to Instagram, the way it went from me to we actually was people started asking me what I was doing. And uh, so I just started telling people. And people said, oh, you should, you know, you should do something with this. You should bring people into your, you know. It is, it's just, it is Los Angeles. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to make images of it. Yeah. And then promote those images. Well, that's, I come, that's, so I come from photography and storytelling. So for me, it was kind of a natural, a natural thing yeah. to do. It's like, oh, it's not, I have, if I can't find the narrative in it, it doesn't even exist. <laughs> What's also great is that you have the producer personality because I've never known any newbie gardener, mostly newbie gardeners like us, just kind of quietly make mistakes by ourselves. You know, with the book, when we first moved into this house, we didn't have any gardening experience, and all we had because it was really not the internet wasn't really even full bloomed yet, and and so all we had was um the like the sunset guide to home landscaping or something like yeah. that, and we were just sort of you know sort of diligently planting lavender and uh, rosemary and hoping for the best <laughs> and making all our mistakes alone and nobody could see them. But yours is your journey's been public like all along, and what's what I was trying to get to is that with your producer personality, you immediately went to all the smart people and asked them questions. You were calling people. You were calling. Yeah, right. You were yeah. working the phones. You were having yeah, right. people, get, talking people to come into your house and talking to you about your site. Yeah. You've had so many interesting characters just troop through your yard. I don't even know how you do that, but it, it certainly <laughs> seems to have paid off because your yard is beautiful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I get all... I, I get free advice. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I, I think do. you do pay some of them. I, I, do, I don't want to make you seem like this huge freeloader. <laughs> I do pay some of them. I do pay some. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that I don't know which comes first in terms of that that you know quality of my character, but everything becomes for me kind of like a research project, and the research project it becomes an opportunity to meet people and to have conversations, and you know, that's without making it too important or whatever it just it, it became for me i as i saw as these things started to take or not take as certain plants failed and or plant grouping succeeded or thing the more uh the more that happened then another name would come up and another person another thing and i wanted i just kept wanting to find out more about how it w would work how it could work and then, uh, and then, and then, what I realized was there's a there's a there's a huge community. There's just this huge community of people out there who are doing this, and everybody seems to be working in the way that you're working, like really intelligent, disciplined people trying to make this little plot of land work. But uh, I I guess I you know became very interested in trying to find like the common theme or, or, or ways that everybody, whether you're doing it in Maine or Florida or, or, you know, Alaska or down here in Southern California. And we happen to be blessed with like a huge body of, of people um, who are doing this in Southern California because we live in a, in a drought area and we're also, you know, all in the shadow of this beautiful Mediterranean chaparral. So there's these very dynamic forces that we have to contend with to either like, you know that we can profit from or that we have to like work with to uh to in to think about gardens in a different way um and certainly we have been forced to think about our lawns in a different way mm. and that that and the whole thing of a lawn threw me down the big rabbit hole of that in that number you know when mm -hmm. i found that that number of 40 million acres of lawn in the united states <laughs> making it the biggest crop, crop in, in the, the united, united states, states. Yeah. you know that eats you know 10 billion gallons of water a day and 9 million pounds of pesticides a year and mm. then you you just start to go like wow okay let's reset and let's think about talking yeah. to each other and talking to our neighbors and figuring out how to 
Mitigate you know, that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were having babies at exactly the same time. So yes. Babies and, need, and starting to a new lawns. <laughs> I was having babies. but you, it, And the drought. You had babies in the drought kind of at the same time. Yeah. And then the lawn uh, became a question for you, I know. And you, yeah. And you compromised on that. Very much. Yeah. We ended up making... We did make a lawn. And I'm glad we have a lawn. Um, it's a nice... One, it frames things. It gives you a way to look at things, but also just as a as a place where you can throw things out for the kid and know that if they fall down, they're not going to like you know <laughs> shatter. You know, it, yeah, their lawns it. tend to like minimize the shattering of the child. <laughs> but I, you know, but even that became something where we we don't water it. We water it very little, and we let it grow really long, and it it's fine. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not a big. Doesn't it have ties, a large impact. It ties the whole composition of the garden together yeah. really well. There's, I think, there's a big difference between a little patch of lawn for like, you know, your reading chair or your kids to play on versus um, people like you know those kind of exurban houses that have like a three acre lot and it's all lawn. And you and you see those not so much here in California because we just you'd have to be a billionaire <laughs> to water that. But I see it in other places, and I just think, oh, what a what a lost opportunity! Look at all that space. Yeah, and you know nobody uh, is using that lawn. No, you know it's just they a, don't. it's just a bill. It's just something they have to pay to upkeep. Yeah, I mean it's not it doesn't it doesn't do anybody any good. <laughs> you know, and that's the shame of it. You know, you've got this enormous resource, you know, this potential resource and 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 people feel compelled. They feel all, you know, they're uh they have a lot of anxiety about this this giant chunk of of lawn that is uh, hard to maintain and the maintenance, you know, you got, you know, 5% of our carbon emissions are just from blowers and lawnmowers, <laughs> you know, and all, so all these other things that are happening in order to maintain a lawn that, that, you know, the numbers actually that you guys turned me on to that I thought, you know, from a study that was done here in Southern California, the average adult, I think uses their lawn, engages with their lawn 10 minutes a week and the average kid engages with a lawn 30 minutes 30 to 40 minutes a week and of that they use 20 percent and so you think you know and and carol bornstein over at the museum of natural history we had the conversation she's you know no one's saying get rid of your lawn like keep a part of your lawn but you don't need as much as you think and you don't need to maintain it like a golf course Mm And that just that for me opened up like, well, what would we do? And so how do we think about the borders of our property, you know, and how can we create space? And and the National Wildlife uh, Federation does a really nice job with the the wildlife certification thing. Um, they really lay it out for you, like what creates habitat. And so that that was something that I got into early on. Um, I liked what they were doing and then uh, and that that got me started and that helped me set like basic standards for how to set my yard up and then as I went down as I took you know read Doug Talamay's book and then heard him speak I really began to think about the the the, the value of of native plants and how I think you have to put that up front and then what I thought for the Wild Yards project was now take all that as a storyteller. And how do you tell that story? And how do you get out of the niche of, you know, environmentalism and the environmental movement and just make it about, you know, this is this is this is how we live now for the 21st century. This should be a standard as like toilets and gutters <laughs> and a heating system. This is just how we need to think now about the world because this is where we're at. One of the things I was thinking about is uh, with lawns, in regards to lawns, is that uh, they're easy. And I think one reason why people cling to their lawns is because it's so hard to figure out what else you're going to do if you yeah. don't have a lawn. Yeah. I mean, if you if you once you step off, it's like stepping off of a, a gangplank. <laughs> once yeah. you fall off the lawn gangplank, you're just you're free floating in space because yeah. it's like, what can I do? You can have a yard full of gravel or native plants or whatever you know. But the possibilities at that point become endless, confusing, perhaps somewhat behind you know beyond your pay grade. And so I think one of the keys to helping uh, bring more nature into the city is to help people learn how to um, deal with that space, what, how, how they can plant those spaces to be helpful to the whole world. And, and that is really what the Wild Yard Project is about in some ways. And we haven't even introduced the Wild Yard Project yet. Oh. So, uh, so we've been talking about your obsession with your own yard, <clears throat> yeah. but somehow that turned into a project that works on a whole other level. So yeah. tell us about the Wild Yards project. Um, well, I, I'm a 
you know, storyteller by trade. And so I've been in the film and entertainment business for 30 years, <laughs> which is a such a depressing fact because uh, I can't possibly be this old. But I, I have been. And, and I so I once we did our yard and once I, you know, the deep connection. Let me put it another way. The value that I get from having transformed our yard into a a native plant-based, you know, quote-unquote wild yard is very hard for me to overstate. My relationship to the land, my relationship to Southern California, my relationship to my kids, my kids' relationship to the dirt beneath their feet is uh, brings me more joy than I, you know, I could correctly articulate right now. Um, it changed everything. And so, uh, and then the fact that other people were curious enough from the photographs I take to want to know about it, just to me, the next thing was to, to somehow um, make that available to other people. And, you know, there's, and I, and I was also fascinated by the fact that there already are these resources for people. There already is a National Wildlife Federation wildlife certification, you know, thing you can do. And yet there's a ton of people who had like, it was like the most mind-blowing thing, you know, like, and I didn't think of this. And I have to be, make it very clear that I, this isn't my idea. You know, there are thousands of people in the United States who are involved in uh, native plant restoration projects on a civic level, uh, you know, on a personal level. Um, but what I do think what I, I'm good at is telling stories and trying to find uh, uh, something that transcends environmentalism and politics and any of that stuff. Um, it, because I really wanted to, I wanted to tell the story. I wanted to give people that aha moment because I think once you get that aha moment, uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to unsee that. I mean, once you realize that your property is habitat, you know, and that that you can have a refuge where you live, then all of this anxiety that everyone has, all of this contemporary anxiety people have about, you know, like, oh my God, the world, you know, everything's happening, California's burning, and the oceans are rising. There's nothing I can do. People have no sense of agency. Right. You know, people have no sense of possibility. People feel overwhelmed and they throw money at organizations who are doing good work. And I don't, I, I, I think by all means, man, if you got cash, throw it at the Sierra Club, throw it at the Nature Conservancy, throw it at local organizations that are doing good work. But at the same time, if you can help people transform where they live into something that's vital and dynamic and beneficial... I couldn't think of anything better to do. So mm -hmm. I just started trying to figure out how to do that. And I and I reached out to you guys and I reached out to all my friends who were involved in uh, environmental work and uh, and just started to build a, a, a kind of framework to do that in. Using, you know, first my my whatever skills I have as a storyteller and, and, a, and a person who makes images. Um, and then combining that with a team of, of, you know, of botanists and plantsmen who are qualified to to hold, uphold the other side of the conversation. So that's what we became. We became a group of, of, of storytellers, filmmakers and writers working with uh, native plant botanists and landscapers and you know private practitioners, commercial practitioners, and, and bringing them together to generate information and to try and just uh, galvanize these all these disparate people uh, in, under one umbrella across the United States. And, mm -hmm. and to help people transform 40 million acres of lawn, uh, at least some percentage of that, back into native habitat. Okay, so then what does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, the, not what that, that, that will look like paradise. When that <laughs> but I mean, um, what does the Wild Guard project look like? How does it embody itself? So that's a good question. And, and you know, you know, look, we're, we're totally just getting started. So, um, I'm trying to, uh, one, we have an Instagram site and the Instagram goes back and forth between just my very micro, my yard, just things in my yard, things that I see, things that, you know, my kids are interacting with insects, butterflies, birds, bees that come through. Um, and then to promote, uh, films that we make that deal with, uh, you know, that kind of introduce you to the issue. 
on a, on a kind of big general level. And then what I call the Wild Yards Project heroes, people who are actually have made deep inroads into this and who they are and what they've done. So we're now um, in the process. So we just put out our first one of those, which uh, focuses on Lisa Novick, who's that have outreach for Theodore Payne Foundation. Well, we'll have a link to that. That's the lovely film. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's right really, on. really it's, nicely done. Now, I, I was just telling you guys, it, it's five minutes long, which I know in social media land it's, is, that's, uh, is an that's eternity. That's like Citizen Kane. What? <laughs> What? It's, yeah, it's, it's worth like, your It's five like an Inamora film. <laughs> oh, it's Tarkovsky. Yeah, it's five minutes long. I'm sorry. But um, but you're going to be making a bunch of one minutes. Yeah, so, so we're going to do a bunch of one minute films for Instagram that, that basically take on, uh, you know, very simple, approachable ideas. The idea for me is that this should be as common in the next 10 years as, you know, indoor plumbing. You know, 200 years ago, nobody thought having a toilet inside your house was a good idea. But it's obviously the only way to go. And I think this is the only way to go. Um, so the idea is to generate really simple takeaway. And the way I look at the site, the way I look at the Wild Yards Project is it, it's inspiration through media, through just just powerfully and simply disseminating those ideas on a general level so anybody here or in France or in South Africa can get it. And then uh, education through local outreach. So we do, we, we every year we do a bunch of projects to help people get their hands around it. Um, but then also through our newsletter, we can do education and outreach for people if you're in Maine. We can do, we, we just in our last newsletter, we featured a meadow project that um, Kim Radokia did the in Gloucester. Gloucester. Yeah. Yeah, we read the. the you have an essay up on your website. Yeah. The, an essay about her project in Gloucester, which is also very much worth a read. Oh, cool! Really oh, nice. Good. Oh, right. Oh, you guys did your homework. Oh, we do. Oh, I'm, no, I'm nervous. Professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Try to. Well, one of the interesting things about the project for me, I know, is that you know, we all three of us here have great respect for the gardening world and for landscape designers and people like that. We're people really into the the scene, but I know you want to reach beyond that to people, just homeowners or people in apartments, whatever, yeah. who just to get them fired up about yeah. this. How, what does that look like? And how are you it's a doing in, that? It's a work in progress. You know, I, I, uh, the gardening scene and God bless it because, you know, gardeners in a way have created, um, you know, a refuge for all, all kinds of plants and, 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 and by virtue of doing that wildlife that might otherwise not still have, domain here in the United States and around the world. So gardeners and gardening is a fantastic thing. I don't give a crap about gardening per se. Um, <clears throat> I wrote an article for, um, for the, for um, thrive global. Um, you, you say that even though you're one of the best gardeners I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm sure way, that way better than us. <laughs> it should be said. That's not true. It's not true at all. I'm just persistent. I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive. Um, the, but what I'm saying is like, it doesn't, if I walk through like a beautifully manicured rose garden, I, nothing happens for me. If it's not something that's having a dynamic interaction with, um, with native, if it's not a, if there's not a dynamic action between native plants and animal species, if I'm not seeing this place generating life, you know, in a way that I am, that I can sense is unique and regional and powerful. Um, I don't care. Mm. Uh, you know, that's, that's sort of how I feel about that. I think you're all about the critters. I'm all about the critters. I think it's man. more like the, the plants are just apartments for your critters. <laughs> well, and then of course, and then you, and then you, but then you fall in love with plants. You because know? then you, yeah. because you realize when the more I read about it, you read like the hidden life of trees, or you, you know, you start to learn about mycorrhizae and the communication between plant roots and and fungi, and you just go like, you oh know, my God. yeah, what's like, going on? We're just a, we a thin little species, you know, <laughs> skimming along the surface of a very deep, deep set of relationships that are happening in the soil beneath our feet. You know, so that so but that's what I love about it. So let me back up and say, like, what I love about this is like a, a buddy of mine who now has one of the most beautiful native plant gardens I've seen in a small lot in here in uh, Silver Lake. He's a New York he was a New York playwright and he writes for a TV show out here and he wrote me and he's like, I don't want to do this, but if I did, why would I do it? And so I just started going, 
you know, and that, by the way, that's really what we're up against is, you know, most people don't want to do this. And so why? Why should they do it? Um, and, and I started said we just started texting back and forth, you know, and I, I, I don't uh, words like biodiversity and environmentalism and like all that's a green like sh- most people sustainability. Sh- they hate it. <laughs> like it, the conversation's over with that stuff. But there is a kind of core group of people who, you know, consider themselves, you know, like worried about global warming and worried about climate change and think about all those things. And I said, well, how powerless do you feel in the face of climate change? How powerless do you feel about what's happening in the world? And he just wrote back extremely. And Mm -hmm. I said, you are not. Mm. You have an astonishing amount of agency. And so before you did, and he sent me pictures of a yard, I had a bunch of palm trees and a big lawn. I said, before you do anything, just imagine that I want you to just walk down your steps, sit on your steps right now, just sit looking at your lawn, sit there for 15 minutes, God forbid. No, that's not I know, a lot. sit for 15 minutes <laughs> and tell me what flies through your yard. And that's what I would say to anybody, like sit on your steps or sit and you could get a drink <laughs> you know, it could just be Pepsi. You can multitask. It could be orange juice. Uh, and and go sit in your yard and tell me what you see. And m- I think, look, not all. There's a lot of people who don't want anything buzzing around their yard. But I think most people would say they want to see butterflies. They want to see birds. They want to see bees that don't sting. And most native bees don't sting. So get off my back. Um <laughs> wasps do but that's a different conversation but wasps uh, are so cool and wasps are so cool i mean you know it, i guess i i feel like we're I'm, I'm i'm all over the place here but what i hear is what i love it's like you can do something great and it isn't it it doesn't mean you have to have a crazy wild unkempt yard you can have a beautifully structured beautifully designed yard it's just using something different and that you're using plants that co-evolved with the things that are from here and in doing that you're inviting those things back in you're inviting nature back into your yard. It's the same yard in terms of just like, you know, where plants are. It's just what the plants are is different. And and yes, you want to change your practices. Let your leaves fall. You know, let things happen. But what I love that happens is that I cannot, uh, I can now think of at least 15 to 20 people that have, that have, you know, gotten into this because of the Wild Yards Project. And when that number is several million, I'll feel like we've done something. <laughs> But all of them are obsessed with it mm. because it's a God project. You know, <laughs> suddenly you're like, oh, shit, I put that thing in the ground. I put this buckwheat in the ground and now all these little butterflies are here. And now these birds are here and suddenly there's Orioles in my yard. And, you know, so you are participating in something so undeniably positive and alive, you know, and there and then and inevitably within six months to a year, whoever I get to do this, they become my teacher. They know something I don't know. They've had an experience of some kind of plant or animal species that I haven't had because this is a regional thing, you know? Mm. And that, and so to me, I guess if I were going to back up and say what the Wild Yards Project is, inspiration, local outreach and education, and then the ability to get wild by offering a database so that no matter where you live, you can go to our map or you can go to our state-by-state list and you can just go like, I live here. Who does this here? And I'll give you a nursery or a native plant landscaper that you can call. So the idea is to inspire people and then to give them a direct, you know, if they want to do tutorials, if they want to look through our little like six ways to wild your yard or six ways to wild your lawn, they can. But if they want to do it and they're overwhelmed, um, there's someone to call. There's a place to go to have a conversation about someone who grows those plants where you live. Excellent, and that's is, and we're going to have such linkage you know, on our site, so don't worry that you're missing things. Um, so there, but there is a there is a website, um, yep. and that's wildyards.org. Uh, no, it's just wildyardsproject.com. Wildyardsproject.com. Yep. And and you also have a Facebook page? Facebook group for now. We I do have a page. I haven't set it up yet. We're okay. just getting going here. And, right. a, and a lot's going to change. We have a map that we did that's through a Google um, open source map. So it's clunky, mm-hmm. but it works. 
Um, and we also have a state by state listing there. So you can just click on your state. We're obviously brand new. We're just reaching out to people. I Now I get people going like, hey, we've been doing this. We're here in, you know, outside of Philly. And I'm about to actually post an article on a guy who does has a nursery called Good Host Plants uh, outside of Philly. And he did an amazing job on his brother's yard. So we're going to do an essay on him. That'll be in our next newsletter. But we're, we're, you know, we're Southern California based and we do have a phenomenal set of resources for anybody. California is just way ahead of the curve, but there are people doing this all over the country. And, and our goal is to, is to connect the dots for everybody and make it more and more common and, and more easy to do. So, yeah, we'll encourage listeners to sign up. And yeah, you have a newsletter too. Signing up so is a big deal. newsletter yes. that you do through the website. Yeah. And then there's also the Instagram account. Instagram, and yeah, so Wild we'll Yards have, Project. We'll, yeah. And, and so. the photos are extraordinary. So I'm, you're, you're just a, an amazing, you're the best photographer. You're I know. a nice so, man. You know, I'm, I owe you like 15. Serious, you're really but, good at bugs. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> some amazing bug photos. If, you're looking, if, you, if you see David out in the wild, he's probably crouching right. in a shrubbery <laughs> trying to focus <laughs> on a bug. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times my wife has walked from our house to our little office, our little garage office in the back, like, you know, she's got like a big job. She's got like really important things to do. And I'm sitting underneath you know whatever a a uh you know underneath a milkweed with my camera looking like a dork and she's been there for like two hours <laughs> two trying hours to get a <laughs> desperately trying to get a you know whatever it pays off it pays off so like if you um if you do instagram yeah definitely wild yards project um to be inspired and we'll have links in the show notes but <laughs> Who, what did she say? Siri, Siri just interrupted. Siri just told us that we don't have an app named Instagram. Oh. We should ask That's Siri cool. about native plants. That would be kind of funny. Um, but yeah. you, so there was one thing you did with this project that when you told me about it, I, I, I was like, oh, this is, this is sheer genius, which is reaching out to real estate agents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could That's you right. tell us about that kind of yeah. evangelical aspect <laughs> of this project? Well, this is... So there's there's sort of... And I, I feel like I need to apologize. Anybody who listens to that, like, we're... we're I think our site is fine. It's not near what I want it to be. I, You know, everything right now is we're just trying to get the pieces in place. Um Kind of as quickly as we can with the technology that we can afford. I went to someone, I, I, you know, originally I wanted to do that map where you could just go on the map and anyone anyone who has a wild yard anywhere could have a date just like next door. And I, went, I was like, ah, I got it all together. And I went and met someone and said, how much did it cost to make this map? They said, oh, you need about $2.5 million to get going. I said, okay, I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to do that. So um, Keegan McChagney, who's been helping me, he's a, a young man who um, is uh, brilliant in his own right in, in, in dealing with issues of urban land use and that, but he, he and his um, girlfriend, Leela, have been helping me uh, with the Wild Yards project, and he actually is in, into mapping, so he found a Google open source map, and we, we so we threw our first map up, and it, and our, my goal was just make sure I had someone in all 50 states who, you know, who, who worked with natives. Um, and now we're adding to it daily. Now people are reaching out from all over the country going, hey, put us on the map. I'm like, great, you're on the map. Um, but the the other thing we're trying to do is really think about, like, who does this speak to? And, and so there's the young homeowner and there's the established gardener. There's the native plant societies. There's developers and a and a. And what I feel like is kind of like the, you know, the new front line in all this are people who flip houses. Because what happens is young homeowners who have too much on their minds uh, are just going to go with whatever hardscape you leave them with. And so our goal has been to sit down with, with realtors and say, leave them with a different hardscape. You know, and so we've created on our site, uh, this is for Southern California because all plants are regional. Um, kind of a one for one. So we, we interviewed tons of realtors. We said, what are the first like 20 plants that you would use when you flip a house? And we'll give you an analog that's native. And what do you usually do? So w what we've been trying to do is teach them not to like throw down gravel and a few aloe plants, no offense, but succulents. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of beautiful succulents in the world and I like succulents, but they, they don't offer, they're not always very beneficial. They're structural. They're simple. The fact is they usually die. Um, and a lot of people in, in Southern California are just throwing down gravel and a few succulents. And that, of course, just adds to our, 
you know, our our heat. Uh, sorry, our uh, yeah, that's the urban heat island effect. Heat island effect. Because we don't right. have enough greenery, especially right. between the drought and the encouragement, the the kind of kind of civic encouragement not to have lawns, which has unfortunately resulted in gravel. But there's also like a fashion. Thing. It's very fat. Succulents are very fashionable right now. Yeah, so yeah. those succulent gravel landscapes are fashionable, especially yeah. for the young folks. And uh, that that just means LA is getting hotter and hotter. Yeah, it's 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 a big one. People for me will be like, "Oh, you got to come see my native garden." I'll be like, "Ah," and they go and there's gravel and a bunch of aloes from from South Africa. Um, so that's you know. So what we've tried to do, and that's been very successful for us, is will uh, different realtors will sponsor a night. And last one we had a. Quite, a, we had probably sixty to seventy realtors at, and some architects, and they all came. And we said, "Here's here's what you normally do. This is what we would like you to do. Here's a list of plants. You can go to our website, go to Get Wild, Wild Yards Project, go to the Get Wild section, and just click on you know native plants for for uh, realtors." So they're designing the yards the same way they would generally. You're not no. asking so much, you know. But you're just saying if you're going to plant. A, why don't you plant yeah. B instead? Yeah. If you so want to do least... fountain grass, do deer grass. Yeah. You so, know? yeah. And they're, yeah. They're if you're named... going to use podocarpus, use Catalina cherry. You right. Know? So, so these so... are things with the similar forms and sizes, but they mm-hmm. but they feed things and the non-native does not feed things. That's right. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I think the really hard thing for people to get, because I, people do it to me all the time, and I was just in Georgia for three weeks, and people are like, well, you know, and by the way, Georgia is wildly biodiverse, and the maples mm. and the elms and the oaks and everything are like but they really like their big lawns mm. and they go oh, it's green and i'm like it's green you know and I, we, I say this in california all the time because you know standing where i stand if you're in eagle rock on the corner of colorado and eagle rock boulevard and you're looking around you will be hard pressed to see one native plant mm-hmm. it's all non-native and and really none of it's beneficial nothing's being fed so what we have are these heavily manicured heavily maintained you know, sterile kind of wastelands. There's really no other way to put it. I mean, they do sequester carbon, you know, so I, I don't want to, I have to be careful because there's a lot of people who work on my project who would be like, <laughs> their hackles would go up, <laughs> but they're not feeding anything. They're better than asphalt. They're better than asphalt. <laughs> that, that should be the title of my book. Your book. Yeah. Well, another question for you. So we're talking about real estate agents. Now, we live in a really expensive city. And there's a lot of people that can't afford to buy a house, that kind of thing. So how do you see your project affecting people who live in apartments who aren't as, you know, fortunate as you and I are to own a house? Right. So my my thing is if if you have a windowsill, a deck, or a yard, then you've got everything you need. You know, we... The last project, the last presentation we did, we did one. We uh, this is Lisa Novick. I, I give her the credit for this. It was one plant, one city. So if you if you could, if we go to every town and just say here's just pick one plant, you know what I mean? Let's pick like white sage because it's you know Mamacita salvia here in Southern California. It's the plant, you know, or or a buckwheat or or you know whatever. There's a million native plants you could plant that. As long as we give you a simple set of instructions, you're likely to have some success with. And so a windowsill, in fact, I have people from New York City and Brooklyn who are reaching out and like, what would I do? And I'm like, A, here's nurseries in New York. Here's nurseries in Brooklyn. Here's nurseries out in Staten Island that deal with natives. Do a windowsill garden. You know, any flat surface is potential habitat. And so while I do think that race and... And uh, and income are huge issues with the gardening scene and gardening culture. I think that the Wild Yards Project uh, has the potential to transcend all that because really it, it doesn't. It's it's who you are and where you live. And so if you want to have plants in your window, those plants can be native plants. If you have a little deck, you can set up. A, you can do a potted native plant garden. In fact, a great example. Um, and they're not all native, but they are. They're very pollinator friendly, very intentional plants. Is Scott Logan and his wife run a place called Wild Wings Ecology, and they 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 deal with fresh bird seed for to, to have uh, to deal with resident and migratory birds here in Southern California. Scott's also the lead entomologist and naturalist for the the Gottlieb Garden, which is a very famous garden, mm-hmm. a prominent you know um, one of the big. Uh, draws of the Theodore Payne Native Plant Tour every year. Um, the Gottlieb Garden has a beautiful coffee table book out, like 
get it um, because it, it has so many examples of cool things you can do at any scale. Um, but he, they have a bunch of pots right out. You know, there's, there's, there's a wheelchair engine to the back of their space in the middle of, of um, Sherman Oaks in a parking lot. And he has a bunch of pots. And those pots are covered in birds, butterflies, and bees in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you know, that it, it's one-to-one. It's one to one, so I don't really care like where you are. Look at look at the what the Museum of Natural History did. Look at what Carol and those guys did in the middle of Los Angeles. They built now it's vast. It's a couple acres of native environments from riparian and stream woodland to meadow, but it's in the middle of the city, and it is vibrant with life. And I I. I will throw down right now and say that if you successfully bring one native plant to flower on a windowsill or on a stairwell or on your deck, you're going to notice more life around it. It it happens instantly. It's not like something. So anyway, I guess that's my, you know, my thing is like, if you want to grow something and you can do it, grow something native. Mm-hmm. Build it and they will come. Yeah, build it and they will come, and it, and it comes immediately. And that was, you know, Nick was writing me about that. You know, he 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 didn't believe me. You know, you know, whatever. He was he was skeptical in mm-hmm. the amount of life and birds because the, you bring look wildlife attracts wildlife, birds attract birds, and that they, so that life life breeds life, life mm-hmm. begets life, and so you start with one thing and then something else. You know, and largely it's because they want to eat it. <laughs> you know, but that's what you're doing. You're creating a self-sustaining. There's maybe some murder going on. But yeah, there's there's okay. definitely murder. Where there's protein, there's death. <laughs> well, um, I had one last oddball question, and I've asked you this before, and I can't remember what you said, but you are just again. The photography is amazing. Thank I think you. some of our listeners might benefit from your advice. You you kind of gave me like some photography advice one time mm-hmm. and I I wonder if you could uh, repeat that. Like how do you how what's the what's the secret behind a good plant or think. insect photo? I mean your people photos too are amazing, but uh, but plants and insects are proud of their garden <laughs> yeah. and what they've attracted. How do they capture those things? Oh. Uh it's so funny. I'm looking at I'm looking at a picture I took one of your the, photos. I'm looking at one of my photos, which is you know, which sort of sums it up. My photography teacher Danny Guthrie uh, from Mythica College was just over last night, as it turns out. Yeah. Um, and he said something to me that that like really resonated. He said he said if something strikes you, if it's if you're like you know what I mean, like what the iPhone culture has done is people just pick they snap, we snap, 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 snap. Mm. And he said, if a picture is worth taking, it's worth taking well, and usually taking often. And I think that, um, and and I, I don't know, I don't remember what I said to you, but my big thing is like, sit with it, like be with the thing, and try to main, try to find some intimacy with it. You know, uh, to me, to me, <laughs> I squeaked. Sorry, <laughs> I, I do that sometimes. The dog uh, is visiting us with his squeaky toy. Oh dear! It's pretty fantastic. Although that squeaky toy is just soaked in saliva. <laughs> um, you know, to me, it's about intimacy. It's about taking your time. It's about getting as close to your subject as you can, or or thinking about what's the story in your head. Like when something strikes you, why does it strike you? What's the story in your head? You know, I really think of. I I mean, for better or worse, it says on my on my personal Instagram site, it says story merchant. I think of everything in terms of story. And, and so, you know, I'm whenever I'm anywhere, I'm thinking about where's the light coming from? How are you guys composed? Mm-hmm. You know, this goes away because your eye goes to the point of greatest contrast. So I, I think, like, how do you want to organize? How do you want to drive the viewer to the elements that, that compel you? So where is it? And, and what's the, what's, what, the, what are the lines entering and exiting the frame? Where's the point of greatest contrast? Is there a big white spot you know, to the right that the, that the viewer's eye is just going to go to? Because we are, at the end of the day, we're still creatures of survival. And we, we always go to the point of greatest contrast because that's where the threat is. Um, or the brightest color, you know? So think about contrast, think about color, and think about lines moving into and out of the frame and how those things draw you to or away from your subject. Does that even make any sense? Does that translate? Yeah, totally. Well, that is the, uh, like a whole uh, 
photography class. Yeah. So in a few senses, yeah, <laughs> you're taking people like me who are just like, oh gosh, this is pretty. I should take a picture. <laughs> well, why? You know Snap. why? But that's it, you know to me like that. You know, I was it was uh, so the story of the photograph on your wall. We're looking at a picture of a of a of a native grass. I'm forgetting what that is, and it's got it's is really it a thistle? it's like a thistle, In Idaho, but it's not. Right? Yeah, this is actually up on a pass. And it was it was thirty below, and the wind was whipping. And I had a toy camera, I had a Holga toy camera, and I, had, I was driving home after I'd been up in Idaho for several weeks. And I pulled over with my toy camera. It was about four feet of snow, and I walked along this fence line because I loved this dead grass in the foreground, and uh, these mountains in the background in the snow. And um, I just climbed in. I ended up in a trench. I remember this moment very well. I was like, "Oh, I want those! I want those dead thistle in the floor, foreground." But I had to then, you know, step into a trench that was snow up to my neck, and then get in the thistle so that the thistle were crowding the frame just to shoot this mountain a couple miles off in the background. Anyway, I feel like we. I feel like we owe you. But oh it is gosh. about intimacy, and it is about sitting there and going, like, I'm struck by this thing. Now, that's different than great street mm-hmm. photography, where you just have to put elements together really fast, you know. And, and if you go to a James Prochnik, his, it's Plastic Army on Instagram. He's one of the best. Um, he, he's, he's, I think, one of the best living street photographers in the United States, and he's a young guy who's chronicling... Um, culture in Brooklyn like nobody I've ever seen. He actually was just published in the New York Times. He did a Red Bag series in New York Times, mm. The Red Bags of Chinatown. So check that out. But he's he can just seize upon stuff and he has flash figured out so he does fill and he just walks around and he mm. he nails it. But I think it's that. And and again, even with James or even with my friend Ben Staley at Ben Staley uh, on uh, Instagram, it's about intimacy. It's about really being willing to live with it and be in, and and it, and not be ashamed or self-conscious about giving yourself over to what you're looking at, whether it's whether it's a bee on a, you know, on a pistol, or whether it's you know a, a a sunset that you like, or whether it's people walking through a shaft of light on a sidewalk. It's about going, you know, one having that moment of being struck by something, and then two going like, I'm going to now just surrender myself to this. Yeah. You know, that's, and I think that's a big part of it. And then, and then just technical stuff. Like, you know, then you get into like depth of field. Like how much do I want to isolate or add? You know, Ansel Adams shot at F64 and he shot on an eight by 10 negative. So everything would be sharp. I like to separate things. I like intimacy and I like a more dreamlike environment. So, and now, now, now I've wandered off into the uh, completely. No, I don't think you have. I think, well, I think it's all connected. The, I, like the word that comes out is, is relationship. You being in relationship with your subject, yeah. and and I'd had a long, good conversation with a friend about relationship um, recently, which I can't. This not even talk about off topic, but you know, it's but when we're when we're dealing with the natural world, I think we often uh, step back from it mm-hmm. and consider ourselves other than than that world. There's us, and then there's yeah. them. Yeah, and sometimes we. Um, uh, try to organize nature or we appreciate nature um, but we don't uh, we, we often are not in relationship which is a give and take and and also especially uh, a position of respect like you're mm-hmm. res- you're in, in in a position of respect with that plant that mm-hmm. insect knowing that they have knowledge and talents that you do not mm-hmm. you know and and i think maybe that's what's coming through in your photographs is that is that kind of relationship and that respect um and that kind of relationship is also something that would be very valuable within within the garden you you just crushed something you actually just crushed something for me which is the 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 thing that i uh, you know I see in all the people that I talk to, you know, all the people who know Andreas Hessing and Daniel over at Scrub J Studios and, and Carol Bornstein and her work, you know, the, the numerous books she's done and her work with the Gardens and Museum of Natural History, Lisa Novick over, you know, Theodore Payne, Theodore Payne and uh, Barbara Eisenstein, who wrote Wild Suburbia and, you know, has a, a great project, um, oh god off of york and in, 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 in south pasadena that she did a restoration i mean it's it's a level of intimacy and and it's this it's the idea that nature is not out there 
You know, we're not like people living in a city apart from nature. Nature's out there. And as long as I give Sierra Club 50 bucks a year, I'm taking care of nature. <laughs> we are an expression of nature. And we are, we are not comfortable with that. We are not fluent in that. And, it, and that by putting a plant in the ground and tending to it and then getting that, 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 that you are then establishing a big relationship to nature... You know, you are establishing, you are starting to participate in very deep relationships. Um, <laughs> there's a dog that really either has to pee or wants to go for a walk or eat a cat. <laughs> I'm not sure. All three. Anyway, but that, but that intimacy and that intimacy with, with the ground beneath your feet is as much a point of this. It's a byproduct. It's not something I like to put up front, really, mm -hmm. but it inevitably is what occurs, is mm -hmm. a level of intimacy with the ground beneath your feet and the things that live there and, and to then become very um, present to and involved with nature and to realize that nature, we are nature mm -hmm. and we're always living in some expression of nature and that that agency with that and that, that fluency with that and that dialogue, that back and forth, you know, the photography to me is just a, it's one expression of that. And it's one expression that I made happen by putting these things in my yard. And then it, and then it takes off, you know, and then it starts to do its own thing. And then, and then you get to be a witness to that. And so my photography is just me trying to be an intimate witness to this thing that I started but now it's taken on a life of its own and that's nature. And I get as much from that, maybe more than I get from going for a hike in the Sierras. And God, I love the Sierras. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I love the Tetons. I love the West. I love the desert. I love the, you know, the old rounded hills of the East and, you know, hiking through old oak forests. And, but having a garden for me and a garden that is actually like bringing life into it is, is as deep and vivifying experience of nature as I get when I go out and travel to it. Mm. You know, anyway, that's my soapbox. But <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, about, it's about that, you know, I don't know. You know, I get kind of, I got, like, like I could weep. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is. I, I, this idea that, we, that it's out there, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's not. It's not. It's right here with us. Yeah. yeah. And that's... We need to rediscover that. Yeah. And it's cool. I used to like go out. I, I remember when I was a kid, I'd go up and not a kid, but you know, when I first came out to LA, I would go hiking at night. I would do all these moonlight hikes in Topanga mm. and all mm. through the Hollywood Hills. And then I would just lie down somewhere. I'd like pull up next to like a Laurel Sumac or, <laughs> you know, and I would just lie down and I'd be like, oh, and I would feel, you know, I would, I wouldn't be a part of the city anymore. I could feel the city out there. And I kind of liked that, you know, or you could see the silhouette of downtown LA as a, as a coyote cut through it, you know, <laughs> you know, the lights of downtown LA is a silhouette of a coyote cruised along some, you know, mm. some fire road. But I have that experience in my yard, yeah. in my crappy little yard next to a bank in the middle of Eagle Rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> I have that same experience and that's, everybody can have that everybody mm -hmm. who has a home anybody who has a deck anybody who has a windowsill can have a deep you know satisfying experience of nature well on that note so let's encourage <laughs> people again how are the many ways that they can reach the wild yards project and, so can, and let's also be clear this is not a for-profit this is a money losing operation, <laughs> right yes so, yeah yeah much to my wife's chagrin yeah there's no uh i mean i i am trying to raise money so that i can generate more media in the terms in the you know in the shape of short films a series of short films and things like that and also our public outreach in terms of how we do it but uh, so the wild yards project www.wildyardsproject.com is our site we are wild yards project on instagram and uh, wild yards project uh, on facebook I'm, I'm gonna get a page but i haven't figured that out yet you're too busy in your garden yeah and two kids and maybe working jobs. for somebody yeah yeah. <clears throat> yeah speaking of those two kids you gotta make dinner now right i gotta so, go make dinner okay I well do. thank you david Oh, this is so much fun. Thanks for getting me started. I hold you to 100% responsible. <laughs> we're, we're very glad to take credit. <laughs> we might not deserve it. Um, what about that? Um, bef I don't know if we want to have this in here or not, but the um, uh, that fancy phrase. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what got this all started? 
I'm going to read his words, can I? Yeah. All right, great. So, um, Dr. Michael Rosenzweig is really the person responsible for that. He was a big influence on Doug Talamay and Bringing Nature Home, the book which you have to read. Um, I don't know anyone who's read it who hasn't changed their life or transformed their life and transformed their yard. Um, and, and he came up with this concept of reconciliation ecology. And it was his study, basically a, a land use study done in the United States, where he came to the conclusion that there was not nearly enough wild space left to, to maintain or sustain the majority of species on our planet. And so he developed this idea of reconciliation ecology. And in, in his own words, reconciliation ecology is the science of inventing, establishing, and maintaining new habitats to conserve species diversity in places where people live, work, and play. And that is the fundamental inspiration and bedrock of this idea. That is the central theme to what we and all native plantsmen are, are trying to do. And, um, you know... There you go. That's it. That's it. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so much fun. That was David Newsom. You can find him at wildyardsproject.com. You can also find the Wild Yards Project on Instagram and Facebook. See the show notes for a complete set of links. To leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are at Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcast automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes store or on Stitcher. Thanks again to our many supporters. Our closing theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.